And I would invite you to stand as we read God's word as an indication of its authority in our lives. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also rose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand? For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, Out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give me sentence between me and you, and see to it and plead my cause. And deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me with good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. This is the Lord's word. You may be seated.
Good morning, Christ community. Thanks for standing so long through that long stretch of scripture. My name is Craig Cody. I'm one of the elders here. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 24. And I just wanted to highlight real quick, there's these pew Bibles in front of you. And uh, you're welcome to take these if you don't already have a Bible. It's on page 141 in here is the passage that we're going to be looking at today. 1 Samuel chapter 24. Well, in the middle of this really fascinating series, that's quite a story, isn't it? And that's where we're going to go today. Before we dive in, though, I want to give us a little recap of where, where we've been, what we've seen so far. We're in week three of our new sermon series, The Life of David. And my hope for, these, for this series is really three things. First, that we would see all of Scripture is for us. It's for you. It's for all of us. All of Scripture. Old and New Testament. Second, that we would be challenged by David, described as the man after God's own heart, as we see him deal with God through the ups and downs of his life. And then third, the third thing, is that we would look through the lens of King David to see the true and greater King, King Jesus. That's what I hope happens as we go through these scriptures together. Not only me, but the, the other preachers that are going to be up here. That's our goal. Well, what have we seen so far? Um, remember where we are in Israel's history, where we've come from and where we're headed. First and second Samuel, the book that we're in, we're going to look at both books. Um, it marks an end to the chaos of the time of the judges. During that time, the time of the judges, the best of Israel's leaders could be seen running after pagan women, hiding behind luggage when they should be fighting wars and doing all kinds of horrible things. That's the chaos of that time. Now, in First and Second Samuel, they've swung from that time of the judges into the time of the kings, which, at least at the beginning, brings some stability and unity to the nation. But we're always headed, always, the biblical narrative is always headed toward the coming of Jesus, the prince of peace, the true king, who brings eternal peace between God and man. Even at this time, the, the time that's described here in this history book, First and Second Samuel, even at that time, a thousand years before Jesus came, God is sovereignly weaving together all of history toward the grand climax of Jesus' coming. Remember that this is trustworthy history and that this captivating story is for your heart. It's for you right now, today. God, today, through this story of David's life, all of his ups and downs, he wants to work in your life right now. I don't know what you have going on in your life. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I don't know what you walked in here with today. But you can know this. God is speaking to you right now. So let's ask him to do that through his word. Let's pray real quick. Lord, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you speak. We need the true food of your word. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, last week we watched God work through a nobody prophet and judge named Samuel to choose a forgotten shepherd boy named David to make him king over Israel. And this week, we're looking at David and Saul. Saul, you may remember from last week, he became king first and he looked the part. He won the People's Choice Award for king, right? He was tall, he was strong, he was able, he was the man. 
But as we also learned last week, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Though Saul's outward appearance was very great, his heart was corrupt. And that corruption of the heart, stoked by the flames of fear that he was losing the grip on his dynasty, fueled a wild goose chase through the wilderness of Israel in pursuit of David. Saul wanted to kill David. And in our passage today, that's what's happening. David is running from Saul. He's hiding in a cave when what seems like a God-given golden opportunity walks literally right in. But what looks like this incredible opportunity for David is actually a strong temptation. The temptation to take matters into his own hands rather than trust God and wait for him. Sigh. Why do I sigh? The fact is, we're all tempted like this. This is a temptation that we all face, don't we? The temptation to take matters into our own hands. Sadly, we don't trust God and figure we can get it done for ourselves right now. Not, God, not God's way, my way, now. Like, for example, just, a, just one quick example that came to my mind. Like cutting down people with our words. Gossip. Slander. Rather than trust that God is in control, how easy it is for us to take matters into our own hands and cut someone down with our words, to bring judgment on them now. I don't trust God in those moments, do I? In 1 Samuel 24, we're going to see David facing the same temptation. And we will see it lived out through David's life, God's clear word to us today. And his word to you, his word to me today is this, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. And what do I mean by wait for the Lord? I mean, waiting for the Lord means trusting he will do what he says he will do. In the passage today, we're going to see David standing, clinging to five truths about God. Five, we'll call them foundation stones, that support David in this trial to trust God and wait on him. Truths that still hold true for us today. Truths for you. We're going to walk through them one by one. And it's coming all to us out of chapter 24, verse 15. That's really the key verse of this chapter. If you do have your Bible open, I invite you to look at it with me. I'm going to read it one more time. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 15. It says this. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. So five foundation stones of truth. Here's the first one. David waited for the Lord because he is the judge. He is the judge. May the Lord therefore be judge. That's how the verse starts. David and his men are on the run from Saul's deadly jealousy, his fear. And then this amazing thing happens, right? David and his men are in the cave and providentially, sovereignly, who should walk in to use the bathroom? It's Saul himself. This is retribution perfection, people. How many caves are there? And Saul walks into that one? 
No one is there to protect him. He's all alone. And now he's in the most utterly embarrassing situation you could possibly think of. He's doing research, as I used to say when I was growing up. What a perfect time to kill him and cut him down. Clearly, this is of God, that he, this evil man would be cut down by David in the most shameful of circumstances. God sent this to Saul. And God sent this to David, right? Right? Several times in this passage, David says who Saul is. And maybe you caught it as Scott was reading it earlier. He calls him the Lord's anointed. It's in verse 6 if you want to see it. The Lord's anointed. What does that mean? Well, it means that he's been chosen by God for God's purposes. And specifically, this anointing means he's the king. He's chosen to be king over Israel. That word, anointed one, if you say it in Hebrew, which I cannot, but we do actually use this word here, is Messiah. When you say anointed one in Hebrew, you say Messiah, as in Savior the name a thousand years later they would give to Jesus. He was chosen by God. I don't know about you, but I find it all too easy to dishonor the authorities God has chosen. When a cop walks up to my car to write me a speeding ticket, my natural thought isn't, I trust the Lord's sovereignty over this and I submit to his authority. Yet that's true. That's a true statement. Every leader on the face of the planet is here, is in their position of authority, good and bad, because God has put him or her there, whether we're talking about your boss at work or the ruler or leader of a country. And though we often don't understand God's purposes and his plan, we trust him. And that's who we trust. We don't trust the leader. We don't trust that authority. We put our trust in God. He is the judge. And that... That is who David knows is the judge also. In calling Saul the Lord's anointed, David is saying, he's saying this, God chose Saul. And though I don't understand why Saul was chosen, God's the one who sees. God's the one who looks on man's heart and knows all things. God's the one who controls on all things. And so I trust him. Therefore, I will wait on him to judge Saul, because he is the judge. That's the first foundation stone. Second stone, David waited for the Lord because he would set right the wrongs. He would set right the wrongs. Verse 15 again, may the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you. Give sentence between me and you. David was tempted to execute the sentence that Saul deserved right then and there. And did Saul deserve it? Oh, yes, he did. Yes, he did. Earlier in David's life, Saul tried to pin David to a wall with a spear. He tried to turn David's best friend against him. He tried to get David killed by sending him to fight some ferocious enemies. He completely, Saul, completely disregarded God's authority and did as he saw fit. What a strong temptation lay before David. With a flash of his blade, he would give sentence and punish this, mad, this madman, his cruelty, and bring the kingdom into his own hands. He 
Even his friends, the men that were around him at the time, they urged him on. And they said this, God said he'd do this. God said he'd do this for you, David. Do it. Which God didn't say, at least not in that context. And in the heat of the moment, David did something he later regretted. Though he didn't kill Saul, he quietly slipped up close to him and cut the corner off of his robe. And that might seem like, like a nothing. It, it did to me. And in fact, I actually thought of it more as kind of like an in-your-face, uh, look, I, I totally could have killed you if I wanted to. See, I've got the little piece of your robe right here. But that's not how David, whose heart was after God's heart, took it. This is verse 4. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and afterward David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Saul's not striking David down. I'm sorry, David's not striking Saul down. David's heart, his conscience, is striking himself. Why? This is something we're going to look at more closely later on in this series, but I think, first of all, it shows how in these wilderness days where David is on the run, David walks with such closeness to God, meditating on his word, seeking him and praying to him almost constantly. He's so closely knit to God. It makes him sensitive to things like this. But David's heart struck him because David knew he stepped over the line of executing judgment himself, of repaying Saul himself. Instead of waiting on the Lord, he took matters, even something as seemingly small as this, into his own hands. And thus his heart struck him. David doesn't trust his men to set right the wrongs. He doesn't even trust himself to set right the wrongs. He trusts in God, the perfect judge, to set right the wrongs. And so David waits on the Lord, waits for him to set right the wrongs. The third stone. So the first stone was he trusts in the Lord. He waits on the Lord because he's the judge. The second is that he would set right the wrongs. The third one is David waited for the Lord because the Lord will do what he says. Verse 15 again, may the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it. We just saw how God will right every wrong, repay every injustice. This is about keeping his promises. When Saul sauntered unknowingly into the cave, a large group of deadly fighters surrounded him. And with a signal from David, a little boom, Saul would have been gone. Those men were ready to strike. They would topple the throne and Saul would be no more. David restrains them though. Your Bible says persuaded them. That word persuaded literally means tear apart. When I think about that, it reminds me of some coaches that I had in high school tearing me apart. David felt that strongly about the Lord's sovereignty over the situation. David will not see to himself gaining the throne. David's men will not see to David gaining the throne. God will see to it. God keeps his promises. 
Even Saul knows that the Lord will do what he says. If you skip down to verse 20, Saul confesses this truth, that God's going to keep his promises and execute perfect judgment. Verse 20 says this, Behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. Wow. Saul said that. That's quite a moment of clarity from this honestly pretty crazy guy. Sadly, Saul is not having a conversion experience right here. It's, it's not long before he goes back to his murderous ways, which is a warning to us about flash-in-the-pan kind of faith versus true faith. People, all of us, can have intense moments of emotion, even saying all the right things, but true faith is lived out over time. Consider for a moment, though, by contrast, David's faith in this moment, in contrast to Saul. The opportunity to take what's rightfully his is right before him. With one thrust, he's out of the cold, dark, dirty cave, and he's headed home. The kingdom will be his, limitless riches, highest of honor, total fame. And then Saul walks out. David lets him walk out the room. And what's David's response? Regret? Despair? No. The Lord will see to it. That's faith in God. God you know, David doesn't know when God's going to do it. But David does know that the Lord will do what he says. And thus, David waits for the Lord to do it. The Lord will see to it. Fourth stone. David waits for the Lord because the Lord is for him. The Lord is for him. Verse 15 again. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause. Have you ever had somebody who pled your cause for you? Who stood up for you? Who was an advocate for you? Took responsibility for a problem that you had? Really, it's an act of love. I... I remember actually uh, a boss that I had while, I, while my family and I still lived in China as missionaries. I taught English at a high school, and time and again he would stand up for me to authorities or government officials to make sure that my family had what we needed to be able to stay in the country. I was so thankful for him. David says the Lord will plead his cause. David have an, has an advocate. He has someone in his corner. And this, this one in his corner does it out of love. Listen to David as he sings this psalm, Psalm 5. He says this, You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the, abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, the flood of his great love will enter your house. Therefore, because he has an advocate like that, he has someone pleading his cause like that, he doesn't have to plead the cause for himself. He doesn't have to prove himself to any man or army or government or even to God himself. God is for him. Oh, I pray for myself and for you that we would know the peace and the energy and the freedom that that brings. To know that God is for you. 
knowing that God pleads David's cause, that God is in David's corner, propels David in great faith. Listen to Psalm 18. He says this, For by you, God, I can run against a troop, and by my God, I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of, God, the, word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Though the world comes against me, I have one on my side, in my corner, and I am so confident of his love, his care for me, that I'm fearless. I'm energized. Energized to wait. And this is not a passive, idle type of waiting. David is not being irresponsible here. David is actively choosing not to murder Saul and instead choosing to obey God. Thus, David waits for the Lord because the Lord is for him. And finally, the fifth stone, the final stone. David waits for the Lord because the Lord will deliver him. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you, verse 15, and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Deliver me from your hand. This is looking forward to a great day. David sees a great day on the horizon when the running and the fighting and the cave dwelling and the anguish, all the exhaustion of this season will be no more. He knows that God is a deliverer. He saw it as a young boy when, he, when God delivered him from lions and bears. He saw it as a young fighter when God gave him victory over enemies. He saw it on the run from Saul as the Lord has protected his life over and over again. And David knows that God will deliver him from Saul's hand and bring him safely into the kingdom that has been promised him. This is David saying, when he says that the Lord will deliver me, this is David looking for final vindication. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. David taking the throne, the day that he ascends the throne, is proof that God will deliver him, that God is for him, that God does what he says, that God rights all the wrongs, that God is the judge judging perfectly. David wants his life to show, to display that God is God and there is no other. When David ascends to the throne, when he sits on that throne and that picture that's up there, when he sits up there, when he rules over Israel, on that great day of vindication, no one's going to look at David and say, David, man, you were just stronger and faster and better. This is because of you. No, no, that's not what David wants. On that day, when he sits on the throne and all of God's promises are true, everyone will say, how great is David's God. And thus David waits on the Lord because the Lord will deliver him. Five foundation stones upon which David stands as he's waiting for the Lord, trusting the Lord to do as he says. David knows that the Lord is the judge. David knows that the Lord will right every wrong. David knows that the Lord will always keep his promises. David knows that the Lord is for him. David knows that the Lord is the one who will deliver him. David knows God. 
So instead of picking up his sword before Saul, he bends his knees before the Lord. Let's be honest with one another right now, though. What a scary place to be. To wait on the Lord. It is scary to wait for the Lord. To wonder where the next dollar is going to come from. Or when your boss will get what he deserves. Or when you're in darkness or when you're in pain. When it will end. When the future seems so uncertain. What is going to happen? That is a scary place to be. It takes courage to, waste, to wait on the Lord. When we started this whole series, we went to Psalm 27, a psalm that David wrote. Do you remember the cry of his heart in that psalm? He said this, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And then verse 8, he said this, You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. I want what's true of David's heart to be true of my heart, to be true of our hearts. Passion for God, hunger for God, gazing on the beauty of our great God, seeing and beholding and knowing the God we just talked about in such a way that it results in verse 12 of that same psalm. Verse 12 says this, after gazing on the beauty of the Lord, David closes by saying this, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. But we don't wait, do we? We turn to all manner of empty promises and lifeless solutions to the here and now everyday problems of life. And we come up dry. We choose here and now joy of partying late Saturday over the promises of God given to his people as they gather in church on Sunday. We choose the here and now judgment of cutting down with words, bosses and authorities we don't like over trusting the God who sees and is the judge. We choose here and now emotional and physical intimacy over God's lasting word to draw near, to provide in his timing. We choose here and now money in the bank and homes and stuff and stuff and stuff over giving toward God's work in the world that bears eternal, eternal fruit and rewards that last forever. And David did that too, friends. It's not just me. It's not just you. David did it too. Rather than continuing to trust God, he went and stole another man's wife. Rather than seek God's will about building a temple, he decided to take it into his own hands. Rather than trusting that God was king over his people, he wanted to count everybody just so he felt so good about himself. He took matters into his own, own hands, just like we do. But I have good news. Though we do not wait for the Lord, God as judge sent Jesus to take our guilty sentence for us on the cross. 
Jesus was judged a sinner because of my sin, and I was judged righteous because of his righteousness. Though we do not wait for the Lord, God repaid the wrongs I have done on Jesus, my substitute, so that I will never know repayment for any wrong I have done. Though we do not wait for the Lord, God through Jesus' death, God through Jesus' death for me, brought me into every promise. Though we do not wait for the Lord, I know that God is for me. How do I know that? He gave us his son. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us, graciously give us all things? Though we do not wait for the Lord, he vindicated his name and proved his victory over sin and death and hell by rising from the grave. We, you, all of us will be delivered just as he is. We live in a world filled with injustice, wrongs that must be set right, poverty, inequality, war, broken families, broken neighborhoods. I could go on and on. The impulse to right those wrongs, to bring justice in this world, that is right. That is like your Father in heaven. And therefore, as people, anyone who has trusted in Jesus Christ for the, for the forgiveness of sins, people who are filled with the spirit of Jesus, we go, we go to the world to bring God's righteous kingdom to bear. But we do not go with violence or with malice or with hate-filled rhetoric. We go to the slums and to the streets and to the nations, the far-flung corners of the world to serve, to give, to sacrifice in the name of the one that will bring true, final, and eternal justice. Christ community, brothers and sisters, trust the Lord. Wait on the Lord. He will do it. Isaiah 64 says this to close. And this is, isn't this the cry of our hearts? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. This is the cry for justice to set right wrongs. God, will you not come down? When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Let's pray. Lord, our eyes are on you. We are waiting for you. We trust in you. You are our only hope. Thank you, Jesus, that you came for us. Thank you, Jesus that you have righted every wrong. Thank you, Jesus, that you, are, you rose from the dead. Thank you, Jesus. We are looking to you. 
We are waiting on you. In Jesus' name, amen.